Hey, this is Max from the Arkells, and you're listening to Underground Sports Philadelphia. What's going on, everybody? We are live with Underground Sports Philadelphia, episode number 201. A little bit of Sunday action for you. Uh, Matt Castorina, myself, Kyle Bennett, coming at you live from Underground Studios. As always, show brought to you by Main Auto LLC, Ducharms Pro Foot, Security 21, Wainwright Bernhardt Funeral Home, Paul J. Gillespie Incorporated, Bob Novick Automobile, Mark Ronchetti, CPA, LLC, and the Dental Wellness Center of Vineland. What's going on, man? Living the dream, you know? Uh, lots to talk about with the Sixers. Uh, obviously, Joel Embiid going to be missing some time. Uh, there's trade rumors swirling, and they ended up losing to the Mavericks last night. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it, was a, it was a pretty decent week up until last night, and even then, you know, at halftime, it was like, all right, this is looking pretty good. And they kind of fell away in the second half. Um, there's some positives to glean out of the performance from last night, and there's some negatives. Um, you know, you hold a team like the Mavs to uh, the offensive output they had in the first half, and that's really good. Uh, it was the lowest point total they had going in the half all season. A lot of turnovers for a team that's the best in the league at turnovers, uh, but that all kind of faded away in the second half. A lot of that defensive performance really going for for naught because uh, in in the second half Dallas catches a little bit of fire and Sixers unable to really really do anything offensively honestly they, they've struggled with that especially with Embiid's absence and definitely been leaning a little more in the defensive action so you know it's it's tough especially seeing as Dallas were on a, a back-to-back they had just lost to the Lakers the night before you'd think that's this is your opportunity to, to keep the streak rolling get the three in a row and uh, get a good win in your pocket but can't get it done and yeah it's um it's a little bit annoying because this team just can't figure out a way to win on the road um that's that's frustrating they did end up beating the Celtics though for the third time this season on Thursday so we'll talk about that game as well um you know Tobias Harris looked great in that game but Josh Richardson really carried the load and uh put the team on his back Ben Simmons another really good performance and we actually got a good Al Horford game we did and um that's kind of what we were we were leading into Wednesday night was what kind of Al Horford we were going to get, and we got kind of revenge tour Al Horford, throwing a few bodies when he had to, and that again is is a positive performance, and to do without Embiid as well, I think is a, a big, big showing, and yeah, I mean, Ben was used great in like the fourth quarter, he was getting posted up a lot, yeah, Josh Richardson had the ball in his hands quite often, um, and yeah, I, I thought it was a really good blueprint for how this team can can really, really just smash teams. And you know, it's it's especially great when you consider now you've you've taken three from Boston this season. When you know the past few years, you that, that's like your cumulative for the past few years in the regular season against this team. You really haven't had much success against them. And now, again, a, another decently comfortable win where you you're kind of uh, have the game in your hands pretty much all the way through. They they obviously had a big comeback to make, but. You know, for the most part, the Sixers were in control of this game and, and after they surged back. So, 
really positive performance and yeah obviously it, it only I think makes the Dallas one to sting a little more because you had some rest and again you know you can't just hang on to the uh, the lead in the second half and, and push through but you know that's kind of been the story of the Sixers season, hasn't it? You know, some good wins and some bad losses. I don't know. It's it's hard to get a, a great pulse on this team sometimes. It's clear Al Horford just decided to listen to the podcast the other night um, because he did perform well. But this Mavericks game, like you said, at halftime, it was looking good. Uh, the team was playing well. And then it kind of just all fell apart. The bench did not show up again. Uh, James Ennis with a, a big old goose egg. Um you know, and obviously Tobias Harris continues his his All Star push with a double double, um, and you know coming into this game, and our guy Dan Morgan tweeted this too. You can follow him at Dan says that he said if if you would have told me without watching this game that the Sixers held Luca under twenty points, you would have thought it would be a double digit win. Yeah, because that's just you know the nature of the beast. If you can contain Luca the way that they were last night, you should have been able to win this game with ease. Yeah, and the second half it kind of just fell apart where Dallas doubled your point output in the third quarter and you just couldn't rebound from it yeah and and that's the the one danger with Dallas you know, one of the the most high-powered offenses in the league and you know it, obviously Luka carries a lot of that load but you know they, they do have a pretty deep squad and we saw this even when we lost to them earlier in this year they didn't even have Luka for the entire game and uh and still couldn't come up with anything against the Mavs so this is a team I think that's very well coached and is a, is a strong team so you know to lose them you kind of make your peace with it but it, you should have made this more competitive to be frank and um it, it is concerning again going on the road and not just not showing up really um, or, or having that consistent play throughout I, I don't know what it is and you kind of hope it turns around because you know in the beginning of the season it's like whatever you know every team is usually better on the home uh, home court than they are on the road obviously but um, it's starting to turn into a real negative for the Sixers now where uh, you don't feel good about them going really anywhere on the road and winning uh, it's 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 not good, and it, it, we would need really need a turnaround in, in that direction. They are eighteen and two at home, seven and thirteen on the road. Yeah, like something needs to happen with just whether whether it's preparation for road games, whatever the routine is, needs a, a tweak or whatever it may be. Uh, something has to be figured out on why they just continue to struggle and look like a completely different team on the road yeah it's it's an energy thing um it's a rhythm thing i don't know i don't know how you go about fixing it um it it seems like a pretty complex problem i don't know what what you do exactly to to turn this around but yeah i mean you know we talk so much about the playoffs for this team and I, I'll be honest, I feel good about this team beating pretty much anyone in a seven-game series. The issue is is that we've shown just how bad we can be on the road that, you know, that could very much be the difference, especially if, you know, we, we stay in the seed that we are where we're a fifth or a sixth seed. You know, we're, we're not going to get home court advantage really in any meaningful game unless something crazy happens in the East, which we don't expect. So you, I wouldn't be shocked to see, uh, you know, the Sixers be in two potential seven-game series in, in the Eastern Conference playoffs uh, this this year. And you want to have that seventh game at home. It's very, I think it's I think it's crucial, actually. And, um, you know, I, I think that's that's partially the difference last year against Toronto, that you, you don't have that home court advantage, right? And um, you kind of make your peace with that, I guess. But, you know, it, it does need to turn around. And, you know, it was a good week overall, though. The Sixers put together some good wins. Obviously, Embiid stuff sucks, but... You know, it seems like right now maximum timeout is about a month, and that's like kind of 
near the longer end of the bell curve. So hopefully, you know, it's only two or three weeks. It is a lighter schedule coming up. So I guess, you know, theoretically, if you were going to pick, you know, two or three weeks to be without Embiid, this would probably be, you know, a, a safe part of the season because uh, you do have some very winnable games. But, you know, you, you want to, again, it's just it's frustrating because this team is just never healthy. You know, every time we get the starting five all together, start to feel really good about the team someone gets hurt or you know there's some load management things and yeah it's that's a that's a annoying part of the season and the Sixers do in fact you know stay on the road uh tomorrow for the final time against the uh Victor Oladipo-less Pacers before he comes back later this month you know it's another East Division game that you need to take advantage of and you know, just step your game up. Like, you're on the road, you're playing against a team that is fighting for positioning with you in the Eastern Conference standings. They are not at full strength, neither are you, but you have the, the players on this team right now that they should be able to beat this Indiana team and not get embarrassed again like they did on New Year's Eve. Yeah, the New Year's Eve performance, I think that's I think that's the worst game of the season, honestly. Um, just in terms of overall effort and perform like doubt just sucked. I don't know. I think I guess everyone just had New Year's Eve on their mind. Out of, mentally checked out, I guess. Um, so yeah, you hope you can go in and make a different showing and a better showing for yourself. And um, it's going to be interesting, you know, get, getting another test without Embiid. I thought they handled it very well against the Celtics. I think he was very much missing last night against the Mavs. A lot of that interior presence that he brings just frankly was not there. Like Dwight Powell like put together some big runs against the Sixers that you have to feel Embiid would, would definitely halt. Um, and the Pacers are going to be no different. You know, Miles Turner is going to enjoy a little bit more uh, life and a longer leash, I'm sure. Um, Land's going to open up, obviously, a little bit more for a team that can get to the rim effectively. Like, you know, it's, it's this is a, a big test now for the Sixers again, and it's going to be a big test of Al Horford. It's going to be a big test of Pell and his, uh, his performance. He had a great game against Boston, really came in, and he's just beautiful little spark plug great defensive effort um you know you didn't see that all that much dallas last night he got a little outmatched but yeah that's that's going to be an interesting look and you just hope that everyone can kind of step their game up a little bit that's what's going to have to happen in beats absence you're going to need um and, and frankly i think it's been done so far you only have you know a very small sample size now of just two games to, to look at and say you know this is what this team is without Embiid, but you know, you see a good blueprint here, and Josh Richardson, I think, has played very well in his absence. He's stepped up to the plate for sure, and you know, Ben's, I think, been good all year. I, I think this is still, you still feel positive about this team for sure. And by the way, you know, everyone was uh, ready to throw all the, the furniture out the window two weeks ago, and you put together some nice wins. Everyone's forgotten that. There's, there's no more crazy trade uh, talks. Um, although I did hear as soon as Embiid got hurt and we beat the Celtics, it was like, oh, well, if we go on a run, should we trade Embiid? And it's like, I just uh, I just want to tie you to a tree in the middle of the woods and leave you there. Yeah. <laughs> um, at least the Pacers' assistant coach won't uh, be too upset with the Sixers tomorrow uh, because Embiid won't be there. Um, but let's talk about that injury a little bit. Obviously, the torn ligament in the uh, finger he dislocated that we talked about on Wednesday. Uh, Pro Football Doc chimed in on on Twitter and said that that's typically what happens when you dislocate uh, your finger and you're going to end up getting surgery. Um, So, I mean, him being out for a month absolutely sucks because you want to see him on the floor. Um, I wouldn't even categorize this as part of Embiid being quote-unquote injury-prone. It's a freak accident. Like, same thing with with Carson Wentz, like, getting speared by Jadavion Clowney. Um, 
Embiid had no control over dislocating his finger. Yeah. And, uh, you know, being without him for a month is going to suck. But we saw, you know, that a couple years ago when he broke his face uh, on Markel Fultz and, and was out. And uh, the Sixers went on that 16-game winning streak without Embiid. So, like, they have been able to win um, with some of these pieces on this team that were here two years ago without Embiid for, you know, a lengthy amount of time. So just, you know, play play to a style that, that works for who is on the floor for you rather than forcing things, and, you know, good things should come. Yeah, absolutely, you know, and um, it, it, is, it is an interesting test, and, you know, I, I think Embiid, yeah, it, he has obviously been marked as this injury prone, doesn't care about his health guy, and I think some of that is wildly overblown, um, especially by people that I don't think understand that uh, athletes are people too, and that their bodies and lives are much different than yours. Um, if I have to hear another thing about the Chick Fil A stuff, no one cared, by the way, when the video popped up of everyone else eating Chick Fil A and complaining about Popeyes biscuits and stuff. No one was, no one was concerned about uh, Matisse Thibel's. Uh, cholesterol level like no one else is freaking out about everyone else in the team eating fast food but when mb does it it's it's a huge issue uh, a huge red flag um which just goes to show you that i think it's it's a real exaggeration i think about his his health and his fitness levels and all that um but yeah you know this is this is like a very typical big man injury of just getting your finger smashed and obviously it sucks that you have this kind of extra layer of now with the the ligament issue and having to get surgery on that but Hopefully, yeah, it's it's not too extended of an injury. It's not like something that you have to worry necessarily about, like uh, a re-aggravation of that. It's not like a back or a knee or something that you're really concerned about for his career. This is just something, you know, kind of have to just suck it up and deal with for the, the next few weeks, and hopefully he makes his way back. Um, in a way, it could be a small blessing in that he's going to get, you know, some time to recover and, um, you know, be fresh and healthy, you know, probably right for the All-Star break. And then you know get rolling and get into a good rhythm going into the playoffs. That's that's a could be a, a silver lining in all this. Yeah, and uh, you know it, it wouldn't be the Sixers without trade rumors starting to swirl around this time of year. Um, NBC Sports Philadelphia put out an article this morning um, saying that uh, the Sixers have interest in two members of the Detroit Pistons, being uh, Luke Kennard and Langston Galloway. Um, two very interesting pieces. I think last year you and I talked about Luke Kennard as a, a guy who would be incredible for this team. Um, thoughts on, on those two guys and the potential that there could be for either one of them to uh, end up here. I mean, I like them both, um, but the issue is is what exactly... It, it's going to depend on a lot of what Detroit does, specifically, I think, with Andre Drummond in that if they kind of blow this thing up and reset... Um, you know, you might even have a bigger discount on, on both of those guys. And it's going to – the only issue is that the Sixers don't have a lot of great trade assets. Like, you know, the, the one big trade piece we have that I think is very intriguing to lots of teams would be Thibel. I I don't think we have any interest in giving him up, right? You know, we, we already kind of got burned last year by moving Landry. I think that was a – not a mistake, but, you know, you, you'd like to have a guy like that on a really cheap deal, on a rookie deal that you have control over. Um 
So, you know, I, I don't think we'd want to necessarily do something like that again. And then you're kind of looking at bench pieces that wouldn't really help Detroit. Maybe you give them someone like Mike Scott or James Ennis just because they're on, they're on shorter deals and, you know, that, that'll help some cap relief because they have that massive Blake Griffin contract. And to move Drummond is also going to require at least some money coming back. So maybe play at that angle. But even picks-wise, it's not like our, our, our first-round picks are any good. Maybe if they're looking at a second-round thing, there you go. Um, but it, 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 a lot of it depends on, on what happens with Drummond and his future and where you know Detroit sees himself. Um, and, and are they trying to like kind of rebuild on the fly here, or is it a true blow-up? Because if this turns into a true blow-up and, and pieces are getting thrown out, you're going to have, I think, a much better chance of, and we have some pretty good second-round picks, of, of getting in there and, and maybe getting a sweet deal for yourself. But it's going to kind of depend a little bit on, on what else Detroit does. So uh, the, the report stems from a Keith Pompey article in the Inquirer. And, uh, Keith says, League sources believe any Sixers trade will almost certainly include uh, the team parting ways with second-year guard Zaire Smith. Um, and then there's a quote from uh, one league executive saying, or at least that's what I'm preparing for. And then some other trade candidates that were reported earlier in the week uh, that the Sixers are, are interested in are... Uh, obviously, fan favorite Davis Bertans, uh, Malik Beasley, Aitwan Moore, and then two former Sixers, Robert Covington and Andre Iguodala. I'd love to have Covington on this team again. Uh, Iguodala would be cool, kind of that, uh, be like a nice story almost, of him, almost coming full circle here. Um, and, you know, Iguodala, he, he, you talk about playoff presence and what he can give you, especially defensively still. Um, he's not going to be a big help regular season-wise for this team, but and, you know, what he can give you kind of in experience and leadership would definitely be a, a big plus for this team. A lot of this, I think, again, is just going to depend on, on what these teams are, are looking to do. Is this Are they looking at a true sell-off here, or are they trying to get real good value back? Because the Sixers don't have a lot of good value to give back. Even someone like Zaire, I think, is a, a really big question mark. You're selling people on his potential. He's still been bouncing around in the G League. We haven't seen a lot of NBA minutes from Zaire, which is a little confusing to me. I'm not sure where his kind of progress is at right now. Um, and yeah, I think NBA teams will probably feel the same way in that he's a very kind of raw question mark in this league. And um, you know, someone like Detroit is obviously going to probably be able to be a little more patient with a player like that and and has that longer view, but. You know, some of these other teams, you might have to do a little more convincing. But, yeah, we'll, we'll see where the Sixers go with this. But this is, like you said, the time of the year where you do start to, to think about these guys. And also to think some of these guys could potentially be bought out, you know. Um, someone like Wes Matthews last year, right, was someone that I think we were all interested in and uh, ends up hitting the, the, the waivers. And, you know, unfortunately, we weren't able to land him. But, you know, th- those are the types of guys that, that will become available. You'll you'll at least have three or four guys that you'll be able to make a good run at without having to give up anything for. Yeah, and I mean, you know, Luke Kennard and uh, Langston Galloway would be perfect fits for what the Sixers team needs, and even Derrick Henry with the, uh, the little jump shot touchdown he had last night could be a perfect fit for this team. But uh, it'll be interesting, and obviously later on, uh, you know, down the line we'll have like our, our trade machine show that we do, and uh, try to figure out guys that might fit on this team one way or another. The interesting part about Luke Kennard is he's only 23 years old, so he would definitely, in my opinion, command a lot more in return to go back to uh, Detroit than Langston Galloway would. Uh, and obviously, Langston Galloway has the uh, the Philly ties from college and everything, so um, it'll be interesting with either of those. But if you can get 
Luke Kennard in here and, and have him as a, a piece moving forward, too. At his age, you know, he, he'd be a, a big part of this core, I think, you know, if this team ever, ever ends up winning a championship with the, you know, currently constructed roster. Yeah, and, and that's a, a big bonus for the Sixers team, you know. And you can be able to build for the future while also adding someone that I think fills a need for the team right now, which is always a plus. And he's a guy, I don't know too much about him, but you would think just, you know, the way he plays, he'd be able to kind of fill that J.J. Redick role in terms of, you know, working well with Embiid on the, you know, the dribble handoff and, and make Embiid feel more comfortable than he has this year in the offense as well. Yeah, um, obviously J.J. big a big miss, I think, for this, this season so far and, and what he can do offensively for this team. Um, this is a, a low-volume but efficient team, and I think Luke Kennard would, would fit in well with that. So it'll be interesting to see how all of this uh, develops, but obviously the Sixers play tomorrow against the Pacers, and we'll see uh, how that all shakes out with another road game for this team. Um, Embiid missing more time. We'll see what uh, all goes down, but before we dive into uh, the Eagles making some big coaching changes, make sure you guys head over to our design tree storefront that's dsgntree.com search underground sports philadelphia get all your uh your podcast merch that we uh we have on the storefront they do a great job for us and uh for all of our listeners you can use the promo code dsgn5 for five dollars off at checkout or dsgn10 for ten dollars off at checkout so if you're a little wealthier you can uh, use the five dollar one but if you're not wealthy enough yet Use DSGN10 and uh, save yourself some money and support your favorite podcast. So that's DSGNTree.com. Search Underground Sports Philadelphia. Uh, Eagles do make some big coaching changes after Doug Peterson says guys are staying. Um, Offensive coordinator Mike Groh, see you later. Wide receiver coach Carson Walsh, see you later. Uh, This comes, this happened, you know, one day after Doug Peterson in the year-end press conference saying that both of those guys would be back next day they're gone a lot of people speculating that Jeffrey Lurie had a lot to do with it Uh, there was a report that said Jeffrey Lurie had already made up his mind about both of those guys uh, after the Dolphins game pretty much so I think we all felt very similar. I think we all felt the same way (laughs) I think a lot of us felt the same way about Mike Groh after last year but uh, Eagles finally uh cut the cord on those two guys and it looks like Jim Schwartz will be staying in Philadelphia too because even though he interviewed for the uh, Cleveland Browns head coaching job it just was reported as we are recording right now that uh, the Vikings offensive coordinator Kevin Stefanski is heading to Cleveland to be the Browns new head coach is that like the Stefanski that's like the Detroit Stefanskis is he any relation I don't know might be it's weird. Um, but he's going there, so Jim Schwartz is staying because he is under contract for one more year. Um, but some very interesting just ways of going about it in the year-end press conference uh, for Doug Peterson with uh, his coaching staff. Yeah, you almost wonder, too, if he just – that was like a feeder line, um, and he didn't want to obviously you know, bring them through any kind of mud or anything. Um, but 
you know, it, it, let's be honest, we're all very happy to see Mike Grow uh, walking out the door. <laughs> um, really, really Mike Grow, I think, is the, the bigger issue here. Um, wide receivers haven't really developed well here, and you have to think that there's definitely a coaching angle to that. Um, and even guys that have come here have kind of stagnated. Uh, and that's not always necessarily a coaching thing. I think some of them are just kind of past it. But, yeah, uh, Mike Grow being gone, I think, is big. You're going to see this team finally, hopefully, uh, not look like they're slow mowing through mud. <laughs> um, the fact that you could only put up, you know, on any given day, you know, between 10 and you know 20 points with this team is uh, is not great. And um, yeah, you you hope to see some of that change. Yeah, you look at you know just this season as a whole, and take out week one because Deshaun Jackson was there, but uh, 20 points, 24 points. You ran the ball a ton against Green Bay because they stunk at defending the run, so you put up 34. Uh, the Jets were a dumpster fire this year, but you put up 31 on them. 20 points against the Vikings, 10 against the Cowboys. You beat the Bills 31-13. to uh, 22 against the Bears in a win, 10 against the Patriots, 9 against the Seahawks. You got into that shootout with the Dolphins, and you put up 31. Uh, 23 in overtime against a bad Giants team. Uh, 37 against uh, Washington, and if you take out that Nigel Bradham touchdown at the end, uh, you know you know how that goes. 17 against Dallas, 34 against the Giants when things were like really clicking, and then again nine points uh, against the Seahawks in the playoffs. So lots of up and down scoring for this team, and and they never really found a consistent stride with the offense and. Mike Groh was a good wide receiver coach, but he's just not a good coordinator, and it was time to, you know, move on and figure something out that will not only help this team moving forward, but make Carson Wentz feel comfortable when, uh, you know, he's under center week one for this team in 2020, and I think you need to, to find somebody with experience that has done this before with quarterbacks, and uh, a name being linked to the Eagles a lot is former Colts and Lions head coach, and he's been a coordinator all around the league. It's Jim Caldwell, which I think would be a fantastic fit for this team. Has experience, can help Doug Peterson with the game planning, uh, can be a, a positive for uh, Carson Wentz. The quarterbacks that Jim Caldwell has worked with have had insane success throughout their careers. It was the only time Matthew Stafford was a pro bowler, was under Jim Caldwell. Um, you know, you saw what he did with Andrew Luck. I think Jim Caldwell would be a great fit. And then another guy that I'm also interested in is former Eagles quarterback and current quarterbacks coach for the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, Mike Kafka. He's 32 years old. He's a younger guy. Knows Doug Peterson, though, from being in Kansas City. And uh, obviously Doug was the quarterbacks coach when Kafka was here as a quarterback. So I think either of those guys, if the Eagles can uh, get their hands on them and bring them into the organization, it'll be a huge bonus for the offense and more specifically for Carson Wentz. Yeah, and, you know, it's important now to make the right moves and maximize what you have with the Eagles. And, you know, you've made some uh, some big plays to get uh, some talented, or at least you believe to be talented skill position players, and you've seen some of them stagnate or frankly maybe not be used as effectively as they can the team has good weapons but you know you need someone who can uh who can guide the ship the right way and doesn't matter what kind of nice material you have if you don't have the tools to build anything with it then you're screwed and you hope that the eagles make uh, the right decisions personnel wise and 
you know, frankly, I think on the whole they have, you know, obviously Doug Peterson being the big gem of all that, but even Jim Schwartz, I think, has been uh, a good defensive coordinator hire. Um, you know, he, he kind of, some sometimes it feels like people go back and forth with him, but overall I think you can't say that he's done anything poor, and I think he's he's maximized what he has, which is a very talented defensive unit, and, you know, he's he's worked within the lines of that. And they've had the best home defense in the last four years in the NFL. That's not just in the NFC, yeah. NFC East. In the NFL, they've had the best home defense uh, over the last four years under Jim Schwartz. So that's a huge positive for him coming back. And, you know, say what you want about him, the guy knows how to call a defense. And there's not m- that many other defensive coordinators out there that are actually available better than Jim Schwartz. Yeah. Other Eagles news, we found out that uh, Josh McCown is an absolute hero. Uh, played through more than half the game with his hamstring torn completely off the bone uh, and still stayed in the game. And, you know, if he would have come out, Greg Ward would have had to move to quarterback because Nate Sudfeld was inactive. But to see 40-year-old Josh McCown go out there, tough it out, and play with a hamstring completely torn off the bone, and the Eagles still come within a touchdown of, you know, tying the game against the Seahawks and potentially moving on, to uh, the divisional round, I'd say that's pretty damn good. It is. Uh, definitely a very gutsy performance. Um, really it pains me to listen to <laughs> any kind of description uh, of that because it just sounds absolutely awful. But, yeah, you know, that's the uh, the spirit, I guess. And, you know, good for him, you know, for for sticking through that. That's, that's impressive. That takes some balls. He, uh... He's a guy that I would also love to see the Eagles keep in-house and whether you know he decides to come back and play again next year or if you can bring him in as you know assistant quarterback coach, a quality control coach. I think Josh McCown was such a, a big piece of this team this year, you know, coming out of retirement, coming to play for the Eagles. He said playing for the Eagles was one of you know the best moments of his life. Um, if if you can keep his you know just football mind on this coaching staff, if he decides to hang him up, I think that on top of bringing in an experienced uh, you know uh, offensive coordinator and wide receiver coach, it would be a big benefit for Carson Wentz because it seemed like those two got along, and uh, you saw them always talking to each other on the sidelines, and just with the amount of knowledge that Josh McCown has from being in the league as long as he has been it would be a huge benefit for Doug Peterson's coaching staff if they can keep him here. Yeah, I mean, you've seen other teams have some mild success, at least, with with doing something similar. You know, Cowboys with Kellen Moore, obviously. You know, you have this kind of veteran quarterback who can you'll probably get in get in well and, and get along well with everyone. John Kitna also on their staff, too, yeah. another guy. Exactly. So, you know, there's certainly precedence. I mean, Doug Peterson himself was a quarterback, you know. Uh, it just so happens that guys who have to read the game so much usually turn into good coaches um, at, at really any kind of level. So, yeah, you hope that you can keep him on and seems like someone that does get along well with, with especially Carson, but seems like a very personable guy and, and good to have around the team. So, yeah, it, you would hope that he has a, a spot here, and I think that might even be part of his kind of incentive to have even signed here in the first place is that he has some kind of pathway to coaching. Um, I'm sure that was very important to him. Because we know he was coaching uh, his son's high school football team, and that's why he wasn't at practice on Fridays during that season uh, for his son. So, I mean, if you can get Which him... is pretty sick, by the way. Yes. <laughs> 
hey guys, I gotta go coach uh, coach the kids. Uh, I'll yeah. see you see you on game day. Um, but I mean, you know, if you can get a guy with his just knowledge and, and experience on this coaching staff to help not only Carson but Doug Peterson, you know, just be an extension uh, that much more of the coaching staff and make your coaching staff that much deeper in terms of just overall success and what you're able to do. Uh, Josh McCown seems like a, a perfect fit somewhere on this team. And honestly, I wouldn't even be mad if you made him the wide receiver coach because of the amount of you know wide receivers he's worked with. He knows how routes work. Uh, you know He's lined up at wide receiver multiple times in his career. I think even if you make him a wide receiver coach, I think that's a, a big positive move for this Eagles coaching staff moving forward. And, uh, you know, we saw... Some NFL playoffs go down yesterday, and uh, like I said earlier, Derrick Henry might be a, a big positive for the Sixers team, but uh, the Ravens eliminated from the playoffs. One and done. Rough. Uh, that is rough. Rough scene, and the people slandering Lamar Jackson, you still look like idiots because he had over 500 all-purpose yards yesterday. The defense just couldn't stop Derrick Henry. I mean, who can? Who who I saw a great tweet. It's like, how many clones of yourself do you think it would take to tackle Derrick Henry? <laughs> and I, I don't know. I think it would take at least eight of me to tackle Derrick Easy. Henry. Um, it would be so Dolphins to have let Tannehill go and him to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> In like, Miami. Yeah. I can just feel it. I can just feel it all the way down into my toes. Um, man. But uh, honestly, I do feel like... It's kind of shaping up really nice for the Chiefs. Um, they kind of had a, a weird season, especially with, uh, with with some injuries and things like that. But it feels like you know they they make it through today, and all of a sudden you're you're playing Tennessee, a team you feel like you can definitely beat in a championship game. You know you, you get where you want to be, and um, it's gonna be it's gonna be very interesting. And I mean it's the same with the NFC too. You know that's been the the strongest conference this season. They'll they'll certainly feel that hey we could be playing Tennessee in a Super Bowl. Um, and I don't want to dis- discount Tennessee in any way, but or Tannehill himself. But Tannehill's thrown, I think, for like 32 yards this entire playoffs. <laughs> um, it's it's not exactly a well balanced offense here, but you know it, it it's definitely been a topsy turvy playoffs so far. A lot of the the big hitters are at least perennial favorites going down early. Yeah, uh, in the divisional round against the Patriots, or in the wild card ra- wild card round against the Patriots, uh, Tannehill. 8 of 15 for 72 yards and a touchdown. Steamy. Uh, and then Saturday against the uh, the Ravens, 7 of 14, 88 <laughs> yards, two touchdowns. I am all here for Ryan Tannehill just going through the entire playoffs, not throwing for 100 yards. Just in Trent game. Dilfering it. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. Um, but, I mean, the, the Eagles' connection still in this is that Andy Reid plays today. The Chiefs play today uh, against the Texans, and if they can take down the Texans, the Chiefs are hosting the AFC Championship game, and Andy Reid has a, a potential shot at getting to another Super Bowl. Yeah, and um, man, it just feels like it's all going to go wrong. And say that, and the Texans have already beaten the Chiefs this year, so it's um, the problem is Houston is such a hot and cold team. Uh, you know that you could. Expect them to show up and absolutely blow the doors off people, or not even put up 12 points. I like they are just 
such a strange, strange team. I actually think whoever comes out of the NFC has probably the best chance. You look at the way the 49ers played yesterday, and Jesus, that just an absolute slaughtering. Um, and, you know, between Seattle and Green Bay, you know, you have two obviously great quarterbacks, um, some really interesting players and pieces. And, yeah, I think uh, it's, you know, I think uh, the, the championship games and then obviously the Super Bowl should be really exciting. There's some really like tantalizing matchups in there um but there's also some like you know if we get like a tennessee green bay super bowl i don't know how hype i'm gonna be about that um but yeah it's it's gonna be an interesting last few weeks of playoffs here yeah uh and then obviously the packers and seahawks play later today uh after that chiefs and texans game and the 49ers end up beating the vikings uh to you know host the nfc championship game um the Ravens are also the first number one seed to lose in the divisional round since the 2016 Dallas Cowboys. Fancy that. Um, so some interesting stuff happening in the playoffs. And uh, the Titans are also 9-3 and three since they let Mason Ramsey sing the national anthem during the regular season. So Walmart yodel boy bringing some a, good luck. What a turnaround for him. Just <laughs> unbelievable. What a life he's been living. Goodness gracious. Um so we'll keep you updated with all NFL playoffs over on uh, 4th and Goal USP on Twitter. Patty Pitts and, and the boys up in, in Massachusetts doing the damn thing this weekend for us. So make sure you follow them on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and some other interesting news as well. Julian Edelman arrested this morning for uh, jumping on somebody's car and, and causing damage. Uh, very on brand uh, for, you know, just... I guess you know you don't know how to act when you're not in the playoffs uh, after the wild card round. So very interesting. He was released on bail, um, but Julian Edelman gets arrested because he was acting like a hooligan with Danny Amendola and Paul Pierce. Yeah, <laughs> what a what a strange world we live in. Um, some Phillies news though. Arbitration numbers have been exchanged. Um, the biggest one being that. Phillies are going to a hearing with JT Real Muto. Um, some interesting stuff there. Craig Mish, who, uh, you know, he's just a, a radio host, knows, uh, you know, JT really well. And um, he, he tweeted the other day saying the Phillies and Real Muto will work it out. But this isn't just a battle for him. This is also JT fighting for all catchers in Major League Baseball. One of the most important yet underappreciated positions in all of sports involved every single in every single play on the field new standards need to be set uh i couldn't agree more especially with jt being the best catcher in baseball um todd zalecki also saying that the phillies exchange salary arbitration figures with jt and hector Neris. so those are the two guys they'll be going to arbitration with but they agreed deals with uh vince velasquez zach eflin adam morgan jose alvarez very inspiring list <laughs> second half of the list there um it's i mean it is i'm i'm in pay jt whatever he wants camp um because frankly you've already given so much up to get him that um i don't know you kind of have to secure him at all costs um but yeah obviously the phillies are going to try and save save as much money as they can of course because they they refuse to just pay pay out the money but um it's it's frustrating because this team you know, we started out this this off season pretty positive. It's like, all right, Zach Wheeler, I, I make my peace with it, okay. Didi Gregorius, Didi Gregorius, okay. this is cool. And that was a month and a half ago, <laughs> um, and now it's like, oh, 
we're, we're not signing anyone, are we? <laughs> Uh, the the numbers though with JT is uh, he's looking for twelve point four million. The team filed at ten. The speculation is that they're gonna meet somewhere in the middle around like eleven point two to eleven point eight. Um, which I mean, whatever it takes, get it done. Yeah. Like he needs to be on this team. You gave up the assets that you gave up, like you said. Don't piss him off even more, to where. He wants to walk in free agency. Not only do they have to get this done, they need to sign him to an extension um, that will keep him here potentially for the rest of his career. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, I want I want JT here and retiring as Philly. To be honest, I love him so. Yeah, he's been the the best catcher we've had since Carlos Ruiz, and he's only been here for one season. Yes. So you know, put that into perspective. He's a key part to not only the. Uh, you know, just the way the, the team plays defense, but his bat, too. He is one of the best hitters for his position, if not the best, in all of baseball. You know, he, he drives in RBIs, hits home runs, had a career high in home runs last season. Um, you need JT here for the long haul if this team ever wants to win a championship, if they ever want to spend money to win a championship. Uh, John Middleton, you need to wake up. Don't worry about the freaking luxury tax um, because it's just getting annoying at this point. But uh, there are still rumors swirling around about Nolan Arenado and Chris Bryant, which is very interesting to me, uh, and just how quiet it's been on the front of Chris Bryant because everybody is kind of lasering in on Nolan Arenado. Uh, I just saw a, a stupid tweet about trading a bunch of guys to get Nolan Arenado, moving Bryce Harper to first base. Please stop. Uh, just don't ever tweet again. Delete your account. Um, but, I mean... The more and more I think about it, the more I feel like Chris Bryant has the potential to end up on this Phillies team. I mean, there's certainly potential. Um, it's just whether that's realized potential. And, uh, I, again, I, I think we've made this this discussion before about Chris Bryant. Not that I don't want him on, on the Phillies, but I just feel like he's a little bit more of a luxury right now. Um than what we need, we like. We still need to spend money on pitching. I'm yes, sorry. Like, I totally I, agree. I, like that's that's where a lot of the resources and attention should be going to. If you get Chris Bryant on top of adding, you know, two more pitchers in this offseason, then great, you know, right? But even then, you know, like Alec Boom is obviously still a big question mark, right? We haven't seen him at the major league level. We're not going to again, even for this first part of the season because if you know how they're going to screw him over very similar to Chris Bryant with his with his uh time in the league but is there I feel like there's a world where Alec Bohm is at least close to being at a Chris yeah. Bryant level like you know probably again, doesn't have the defensive athleticism but, but I mean as far as a bat goes I don't a thousand percent like that's he's gonna be great. We know already offensively you're gonna have a similar level of production. It's just whether other parts of his game get well rounded. So it's like, why? You know, like is it really moving the needle for you? Yeah. Like, yes, obviously Chris Bryant is great, but I just I don't feel it. I I would like a Chris Bryant equivalent to as a pitcher, right? Like give give me something like that, and I'll be mm -hmm. really excited. Trade but, for Robbie Ray from the Diamondbacks. That's, Trade for somebody that is going to make you feel good at least about three out of five days that this team is playing a game. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm supposed to be excited because Vince Velasquez is only getting paid, like, $3 million. Like, no. <laughs> Plus, he needs to be in the bullpen, if anything. <laughs> um, and I agree. You know, I was listening to, 
you know, our friends at the High Hopes Pod with, with James Seltzer and Jack Fritz, and they were talking about Alec Bohm's already been down in Clearwater for a month, uh, just training and working, and uh, the goal for him is to break camp with the team. Like, that is his ultimate goal for spring training, is to force the Phillies' hand, kind of like Scott Kingery, and say, you know, I'm not leaving, uh, kind of go Wolf of Wall Street on him, and force the Phillies to have Alec Bohm as their opening day starting third baseman. And I would love that. I, listen, I would we love would, that. We would be there, obviously. <laughs> yes. That's our, our tradition. We go to every opening night. Um, you know, if Alec Bohm can force his hand and force the Phillies' hand and, and be on this opening day roster, I think it makes the, the lineup even better than what it is already constructed. You know, you, you talk about Scott Kingery being kind of your jack-of-all-trades and, and you can put him uh, – wherever you kind of want if Alec Bohm ends up breaking camp with this team and you, you can switch him in and out with Adam Hazley if need be and uh, there was a report from John Morosi from MLB Network saying the Phillies are looking for a right-handed bat to uh, platoon with Adam Hazley you have it in Scott Kingery like use the restrictions that you're putting on yourselves with this uh, luxury tax somewhere where it, it'll make sense like pitching yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, we're on the the Foreman Mills budget right now and stretching the bills here. And um, what's weird is, you know, it's not even like we're right at the luggage attack. You still have like a pretty decent wiggle room. Um, so I don't know what even the hemming and hawing is over right now. It's it's very frustrating, and it's not especially when you look at you know what a team like the Nationals are putting together again. You know. It is frustrating just sitting there and watching this team kind of stagnate and not, you know, you made such big win now moves and now, what are you doing with it? You know, like you you have good pieces on this team. It's not like this team is is has nothing to work with here. Like you have really good players. I, I don't know. I the, the pitching needs to be addressed and maybe they're really really high on Spencer Howard and think like there's your third guy right there. That would be amazing. Cheap controlled, but even then, like why not go sign right. Because then, guess what? Spencer Howard turns out as as you expect. You have four now, and you, you don't have to you don't have to do this weird shuffling with Eflin and Velasquez, and like convince yourself that Pavetta is going to turn it around this year. Like you don't have you to know, bite your nails every time Jake Arrieta takes them. Exactly, out. you don't have to do that. Like you, you can you give give yourself the relief. But you, I, you I, look at these teams that have made the playoffs in the past couple years and have made it to the World Series. Like look at this year. Obviously, the Astros have had great pitching for the past few years. The Nationals built a, a super rotation. They had four deep because Anibal Sanchez found the fountain of youth and pitched really well for them. Uh, you know, you look at the Yankees. Even though their pitching has been up and down, they've had guys that you can rely on and, and pretty much can, can trust to go get a win for you. Uh, you look at the Red Sox when they won the World Series. They had four deep. Um, they had a bullpen that worked for them. Um the list goes on and on. Even the, the Royals when they won as well, like even that. the Mets when they went to the World Series in 2015, like they had a deep rotation. Yeah, that's what you even early in the in the 2010s, the the San Francisco Giants they were five deep. Yeah. at starting pitcher, you need pitching to win in Major League Baseball, and the Phillies continue to neglect it for whatever reason that may be. I don't know if they're just as an organization, you know, still you know in PTSD mode from Roy Halladay, you know, falling apart after they gave him that contract, Cliff Lee doing the same thing. I don't know what it is, 
but this team needs to to realize they need starting pitching if they ever want to you know contend for a World Series. You have the hitters, go get the pitching to complement it. It's especially frustrating because this team has never been good at developing their own pitchers. You know, you look at the two of those names on that list were guys we had to go out and, and get. Um, you You've know, had three guys you've drafted over the last decade and a half that have made it to the major leagues as pitchers. Yeah, Cole Hamels, Aaron Nola, and Cole Irvin. Those are the three. No other pitcher has come up through your system as a starter and pitched for this team. It's not a, a healthy, <laughs> a healthy thing to be, especially when you consider that for about half of that time, the the Phillies have been picking, you know, in upper upper part of the draft, and they've had good swings at it. Um, but yeah, it's uh, super frustrating uh, right now. I do feel like they are just they're very high on Spencer Howard, and think there's our third guy, Laverietta, and you can kind of switch in, I guess, whoever you want uh, of Eflin, Pavetta, and and Velasquez, I guess, is your fifth day guy, but um, I'm not wild about that idea. Um, in fact, I hate it, but just, you know, spend the money. You know, the, this team was organized, and you, you overpaid Bryce Harper to, to get a really solid, great piece here that can attract other free agents. What are the free agent have you attracted so far? You two, <laughs> you know, like JT was a trade. Okay, like uh, Gene Segura was a trade. You know, you so you've gotten you've so gotten, Bryce Harper's pool has gotten you Zach Wheeler. Okay, that's good, and Didi Gregoris. Okay, yeah, because you signed McCutcheon before you signed Harper. Like, okay, what are you doing with this? Like, flex this guy. Well, like, it's not. I don't know. It, it. You know, you talked about how you brought in Bryce to, and Bryce came here to help bring free agents to Philadelphia. That was part of his introductory press conference. And what, what has that netted you? Nothing. Not even at the trade deadline last year because they played scared at the trade deadline. It's, it's super mind boggling to me the way this team is functioning. I think John Middleton is way too involved in just day to day, uh, you know, actions with this team. Sure. You want him to, you know, be the closer for a Bryce Harper deal because it involves his money. But I feel like he is also not giving Matt Klentak, and, you know, sure, we've bashed Matt Klentak on this show uh, a number of times just because he hasn't gone and make, made moves. But you also have to think, is John Milton, you know, telling him, don't do this? Like, who is the real source of the problem here when it comes to this Phillies team in terms of operations and, and bringing guys in? And, if John Middleton has his handprints too much all over this team and isn't letting Matt Klintak kind of do his job and, and make this team better, that's a problem in and of itself that is way above anything else. Yeah. Uh, John Middleton, uh, you know, he makes all these promises about wanting to, to want this scheme to win and he'll spend whatever it takes. And, you know, this is your moment now to, to own up to that statement. And... He's he's really not he's really not putting his best foot forward here, and he's gonna start making a lot of enemies um, because you know it's one thing to you know go through the rebuild and everything and um, not really come out with too many great pieces, whatever. Part of that can just be bad luck, but now to go and spend money and put yourself in a position where you have no chance, by the way, now of rebuilding. Like you you are set. You like 
there's gonna it's at least eight years before you can even say that word regarding the Phillies, right? Just because of the amount of money, the length of contracts now, um, you've you've put yourself in a position where you have to compete because otherwise you're just gonna be this middling team that's that's not very good. So yeah, if it is John Milton in control, he needs I guess to to run a poll about. <laughs> You know what? What the fans want, which is a, a really good baseball team, and we're we're close, but just need you know three or four extra pieces now. So hopefully we'll get some uh, some updates on you know arbitration and everything when that goes down, and JT and Hector Neris get their deals, pay both of them because say what you want about Hector Neris, he was the best part of that Phillies bullpen last year. He was consistent. Uh, he had a swagger about him. Rarely, you know, blue games for this Phillies team and. He has been the best closing option for this team since, you know, Brad Lidge. And if you want to throw Jonathan Papelbon in there, sure. Um, but, I mean, Hector Neris has been a force at the back end of the bullpen, and he deserves to get the money he's asking for. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is a very topsy-turvy statement, because this time last year, I don't know that we would have been as high about yeah. Hector Neris. But, he had, like you said, he had a great season and certainly deserving of, of getting paid. So, hopefully, uh, you know, the Sixers will – take care of business in indiana and and get back home and and continue uh putting together some wins we'll see what goes down with the trade rumors with all these players that the sixers are being linked to if the eagles make any coaching changes and uh obviously with arbitration and the flyers tk go sign the petition to get him uh mic'd up at the all-star game and uh obviously he he chipped his tooth last night too and uh our friend brooke destra tweeted Konechny chipping his tooth is just uh, part of his evolution process of becoming uh, his final form as a hockey player. Um, but make sure you follow us on Twitter, guys, at UndergroundPHI. You can follow Matt at Matt Castorina. You can follow me at KBIZZL311. And then uh, you can check us out on Instagram as well, at UndergroundPHI. And uh, we'll be back on Wednesday talking whatever may come uh, to the forefront. Uh, we're not even going to mention... Demion Clowney not getting fined because it's absolute buffoonery. But uh, as always, show brought to you by Main Auto LLC, Ducharms Pro Foot, Security 21, Wainwright Bernhardt Funeral Home, Paul J. Gillespie Incorporated, Bob Novick Automobile, Mark Ronchetti, CPA LLC, and the Dental Wellness Center of Vineland. And then make sure you subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Leave those five-star ratings and reviews. Let us know how you feel about this Sixers team and what they need to uh, add You know, as the trade deadline gets closer, who you want as Eagles offensive coordinator, if Josh McCown should stick around on the coaching staff, and uh, what do you want the, to see the Phillies do with this uh, $6 million that they have floating around. We will read all of them on the show, and uh, if we get to 300 I will read all of the reviews again. And... Uh, if you don't have an iPhone, you can check us out on Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, the TuneIn app, iHeartRadio, Radio.com, wherever you get your podcasts. We are there. It's been a doozy of a sports week in Philadelphia, and uh, it's probably only going to get crazier. So for everybody here at Underground Sports Philadelphia, for Matt, I'm Kyle. This has been Underground Sports Philadelphia, episode number 201. We are signing off. Peace. Peace. Yeah.